0: Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel Ben-Limon Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King. Lord, we ask tonight that you would bring us to a place where we can appreciate the richness of the Word of God, the importance of studying um, your instructions and putting them into um, our lives on an everyday basis, uh, putting um, the, the uh, truths that you have left with us, uh, putting them deep down into our hearts so that they can uh, take root and, and cause us to change and to grow and to continually be sanctified in your sight. Uh, Lord, it is, our, it is our desire as uh, students of the Word to um, study Uh, in order to do. uh, This is a principle that many call the Ezra principle. He studied the scriptures with the mindset of of understanding so that he could implement what he was studying, so that he could do the things that he was reading and studying about. And then only after that, uh, after implementing them, making making them a part of his life, we read in the book of Ezra, that he uh, also was in a position to teach others uh, to do what he himself has done, that is, to study in order to do, and then, of course, repeat the cycle. And so... uh, I think that's a good way to approach the Scriptures, Lord. In fact, we are commanded uh, to continually um, uh, have these words before us, uh, meditating on them day and night, like like the book of Joshua mentions. Uh, of course, it's part of the liturgy that we read in the Shema. If we're praying the set-time prayers, um, speaking of these words when we lie down and when we rise up, uh, teaching them to our children. Uh, Lord, these are, uh, are, are important instructions that we dare not forget uh, lest we stray off the path and go to the left and to the right and, 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 and uh, veer off into sin. Lord, we don't want to be a people who are not uh, recognized by uh, our walk of holiness. Of course, Lord, there's one uh, important ingredient that we dare not forget, and that is the filling of the Spirit. Uh, Lord, it is because of your goodness and your mercy and your promise that uh, to send the the Helper, the Holy Spirit. Um, into our hearts, so that we cry out, Father, Lord!" It is because of Him that we can be reminded of Your words, that we can live lives that are empowered uh, to make a change—a social change, a, an echo, a, a change in the, a, a real change in the world today. Uh, not just living for God, but remembering that we are also commanded to live for one another, to love one another, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, this second greatest commandment that we read about in the Torah. So, thank You, Lord, that um it is the written word of God and the 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 powerful spirit of God these two ingredients in our life the Word of God the spirit of God working in concert with one another to help uh bring about the sanctification that is so desperately uh needed in the lives of your followers today uh be with us as we study this book of Galatians thank you that we have been able to come this far these few years these last um uh um meeting times together and uh thank you that we're coming to a place where uh, the book study is coming to a close and we're able to make some applications and and have a better understanding of a better grasp of what took place in the first century so that from that lord as i finish my prayer from that we can make an application for today's 21st century communities, both Jew and Gentile and Messiah, the Messianic communities, the body of Messiah, using the words that are still alive and relevant for us today. The the book of Galatians is an old book, but it's not uh, irrelevant. And so we, we claim its truths for us today and we seek to understand so that we can apply. And we'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory for all of these wonderful things. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining me once again to a study of the Book of Galatians. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi, and um, I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Congregation Kehilat which is uh, the Harvest Congregation, a Messianic uh, synagogue or congregation. Uh, we meet in Thornton, Colorado, on Sabbath, Saturdays, 1 p.m. Saturday afternoon, and you're certainly welcome to come out and join us if you're ever in the Denver or Thornton area. And, um, I'm coming to you by way of Skype live each week, every Saturday evening from 6, uh, 7 PM to 8 PM central standard time, bringing you these live studies through the book of Galatians. We've been going for over two years, about two years and some months to, and i think we're nearing the end of our study. In fact, I'm quite certain we'll probably be finished within a month's time, inside a month, probably. So uh, for those of you who have been following along with the Galatian studies, we're on week number 89. And if you'd like to join us live each week, if you're listening to this podcast, and this is an audio recording that's been uploaded to iTunes or you're listening to this on the internet somewhere, then um We welcome you to join us while we still have a chance to go through the study live. There is room for uh, other students. It's a smaller class. Um, All of you need to do is go over to my website for registration information if you're interested in joining the study. Uh, If you want to get all the logistical information, head on out to www.tetzetorah.com. That's spelled T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H dot Com. Right on the homepage, click on the Galatians commentary link at the top, and then follow the information on the page to um, join the Skype sessions each week. Of course, you'll need Skype, uh, some way to access Skype. I don't think you even need to be a subscriber to Skype, if I'm correct. I think you just need access to their platform, which means these days any electronic device that has access to the Internet, smartphone iPad, iPhone, Android, laptop, desktop, iMac, you know, you name it, anything that can that has a browser or can download the Skype app from a Google store or the iTunes store, anything like that. Um Apple store, the App Store. Any any of those things should everything should work is my point. So, um you just need to join us at the right time. And if you're interested in following along with the written notes, maybe you just want to subscribe and you don't your schedule doesn't allow you to join the live Skype session, that's fine, uh, but you do want to follow along with the study, then I encourage you to sign up for the Galatians newsletter, which will put you in a place where you'll receive the weekly notices, the show notes that I mail out uh each week before the studies, you know, it shows the section of um, of the study that we're going to be going through. And also, you'll get notices when I edit the uh, podcast and upload it. It becomes available on the Internet. You'll get a notice for that, as well as a notice when the next meeting time will be. Any other notices that I put in there for, uh, like, for instance, cancellations or changes to the schedule, you'll be notified of that in advance if you become a member uh, of the uh, the newsletter there. Alright, without further ado, for those of you who are in the live class with me, you should have screen sharing going on, and we'll entertain some liturgy. We're going to look at a passage out of the book of Genesis, and we've used this passage in the past before for our liturgy. This ties directly into the topic that we're going to be talking about in our Galatians study tonight. Remember, we're in Galatians chapter 6, and we're working our way towards the end of the book, the end of the chapter there. So for our um, liturgy for the uh, Tanakh section, let's choose Genesis chapter 17. This is the chapter where Abraham uh, becomes circumcised. This is also the chapter where the word "circumcised" itself is introduced into the Torah narrative. This is the first time that we read about this concept known as circumcision. In my study to the book of Galatians, this is not the first time that we've talked about circumcision. Uh, for those of you who have been following my study, I have the written commentary, which is about 200 pages long in the case you're interested in printing it out. Um, the study itself actually is um, centered on this theme of circumcision, and in my... Um, experience of studying through the book of Galatians. The topic of circumcision is actually one of the central topics to the book of Galatians, and we'll explain why a little bit later. But first, let's read the liturgy. We're just going to jump into the middle of the narrative. We're not going to start at the top. Um, We're going to start in verse... Let's see. I think I want to start in verse 9. Start in verse nine. This is after God kind of um, explained to Abram. He's still called Abram. He's going to get his name changed to Abraham in this chapter as well. But in the first eight verses, God just reiterates the fact that God is establishing a, a, a covenant with them, and that God's going to change his name. And the, and what's really um, helpful as we move into the liturgy is if you look at the first eight verses, is that almost in every verse. Uh, he skips a few of them, but almost every verse, God reiterates the concept of the the promise that God made to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 about the fact that that God was going to bless Abraham, make him a blessing, make him a father of many nations. Right? Recall the words of Genesis 12, um, the first few verses that God was going to take Abraham out of his homeland, bring him to a land. So. Part of this promise that God was giving him, verbal promise in in chapter 12 of Genesis, God's going to bless him. With a, a piece of real estate, a land, and God is going to bless him with offspring. And it's not just going to be one or two kids. God is actually going to increase and multiply Abraham. It's going to turn him into a nation. It's going to turn him into a whole people group. And so these two promises, these two aspects of the promise of the covenant that we're going to start reading about here in Genesis chapter 17, these two pro- aspects were extremely important in Abraham's day and age, right? Um, back then, having a lot of land and having a lot of people to inherit the land or to own the land or to work the land. Those two aspects of living uh, basically made you uh, a, a multi-billionaire, right? If you had a lot of land and, and and it was owned and operated by your own family, well then you were a powerful person back then. So um, God promises to Abraham a land, so there's a land of promise, and there's a, a promise of what I call the promise of multiplicity, meaning I'm going to multiply you, I'm going to increase your offspring. These two aspects of the of the promise that was just basically a promise back in Genesis 12, but is, God's going to now start using the language of um, covenant, the Hebrew word is brit. He's going to use this language of covenant, and this way now God um, uh, obligates himself to... To uh, enter into an accord, into an agreement with Abraham, and, and they're going to use uh, ancient uh, Near Eastern um, reactment of of cutting up animals and and setting them in, in in two rows and walking through them. This is kind of the the ancient Near Eastern way of of, of cutting a covenant pun intended uh, with uh, two between two parties, and, and we see this actually in um, uh, we're going to see this. Uh, 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 later on um actually we saw the cutting of the covenant in um chapter 15 of genesis so it's important when you're reading through the book of galatians i'm sorry the book of uh, genesis uh when you're working through the abraham narrative starting in chapter say 12 where abraham leaves his country and starts heading towards the land that god is going to show him um starting in chapter 12 and moving your way through each chapter um Chapter 12 works uh, as, as a view towards what I say, chapter 15, where Abraham is, Abraham gets saved, so to say, right? Um, in chapter 15 of Genesis, basically, he believes in the Lord and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness, Genesis 15 6. And then Genesis um, uh, 15 is also where uh, Abraham goes. Uh, reenacts the covenant, or, or God ratifies the covenant with him in Genesis 15. The the, the whole uh, smoking pot and flaming torch, and Abraham is put to sleep, he cuts up the animal pieces. That's all in Genesis 15. So Genesis 15 is a very um, important milestone in the life of Abraham. It's it's his moment of salvation. I like to say, and it's the moment when God actually ratifies the covenant. And then it's in, with with the, with that in view, with that narrative in view, that we start reading about in chapter 17 that God is going to strengthen this covenant. He's going to, I mean, I know in verse two it says he's going to make the covenant, but but it's already been ratified. God is going to strengthen it and establish it. Uh, he's in fact that's the language he uses in verse seven of this chapter. Uh, He's going to establish this covenant uh, between Abraham and himself. So, let's pick up the reading for our liturgy, starting in verse 9. Alright, so God has already uh, recalled all of these covenant promises. Starting in verse 9 in the English, and for those of you who are with me in my live class, you can see on the screen I've got the familiar um, 1917 JPS uh, version of the English pulled up for you. Starting in verse 9, and we're going to read down through verse... Uh, Where do we want to read to? Just verse 14. A very short liturgy, 9 to 14. And God said unto Abraham, verse 9, And as for thee, thou shalt keep my covenant, thou and thy seed after thee, throughout their generations. Uh, Verse 10. uh, This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 11, And ye shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of a covenant betwixt me and you. I like that old English word, betwixt. Verse 12, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every male throughout your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any foreigner that is not of thy seed. Verse 13, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Verse 14, the last verse. And the, the uh, uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. All right, and that's that's where we're going to stop with the liturgy. Um, I'll turn now to the Hebrew of the same passage, starting at verse 9, starting right here for those of you who are in my live class the first the word i've highlighted uh verse nine reads in the Hebrew, va yomer elohim el abraham vata et briti tishmor ata v zarah lo verse ten zot briti asher tishmuru beni u vehem u vein zarah ah hamol lachem kol zahar verse eleven. Un mal tem, eight basar arlat Arlathem vahaya le brit ben, uh, beni uvenehem. And verse twelve. Uven uvene, shmonat, yamim, Yimol lachem, colzachar, le dorotechem, yalid, bait, umichnat, kesef, michol, ben nehor, asher lo, mizarahu. Verse thirteen, himol yimol Yalid betacha u mik nad kaspacha brit. I'm sorry. Yes, briti livrit livritolam. And the final pasuk, verse fourteen, v'areil zachar asherlo lo yimol et b'sarar arlato v'nichata hanefesh ha'chi mea mea meha ya Let's try that one again. Mea meha et briti hefar. Now um, we're going to look at something in the uh, Hebrew, but not right now. I'll just leave the liturgy as it is. We'll turn to it again later on after we've talked in the study because there's something in the Hebrew here that. Uh, Many might miss at at a surface reading of the text, something actually even in the English you might miss in the surface reading, and it's a theological significance in my opinion. But we'll catch it later on. Let's turn first now to our liturgy from the Apostolic Scriptures from the New Testament, um, from the Berit Hadashah, if you want to call it that. Galatians chapter 6, last week we studied and looked at the first ten verses in our notes, And it was kind of a giant swath. We only really looked at one verse, which was verse um, 2, Bear one another's burdens, so so fulfill the law of Christ. Today we're going to look at a different verse. But for our liturgy, we're going to use, starting in verse 11, and work our way through, I think we're using ESV. Let's stop at verse 15, even though that's not where the ESV breaks as far as its paragraph Uh, section here. We're going to go through 11 11 through 15, and we're really only going to hit verse 12 is going to be our study, where we're talking about uh, uh, being forced to be circumcised. Uh, That's the topic of tonight, in case you didn't didn't catch it, circumcision, uh, from reading our liturgy out of the Tanakh. So, let's read the English ESV, starting in verse 11. Paul writes, this is Galatians chapter 6, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand, verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that may they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. That's the verse we're going to study in our uh, notes tonight, verse 13 for our liturgy. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. We'll start into. We'll continue with this topic of circumcision next week, since verse 13 and 15 also both mention uh, circumcision. But for now. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then the final verse for our liturgy tonight, verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And we'll stop right there with the liturgy for the uh, uh, ESV. Let's turn now to the uh, Greek. Let's use the SBLGNT version. I'll change my screen into interlinear for you. Those of you following along will be in the, in the uh, Skype class tonight. You can see my screen and we're going to read the the Greek right down the middle in the black there and we'll start with verse 11 and work our way just through this little section here all right uh starting at verse 11 the greek reads edete peileqos human gramasin, grapsa te mekhri verse 12 hosoit elousen you prosopesai en saraki hutoi, anankousen humas pertemnestai Manon hinan tostaro tu Kristu Yesu Me di Okuntai verse thirteen, starting right here Ude Garhoi paratim Naminoi Altoi Naman fulasusen Alath Lus Humas Paratim Nesti Hina in humitera Sarki Kaukesanti Kaukesontai starting under verse uh, fourteen. Emoi de megenoito kaukastai e mein tostaro tu kurio chimon iesu kristu di hu emoi kozmas kago kasmo verse 15 the final verse in our liturgy tonight ute gader per to mei di esten ute akrobustia ala kainei k thesis all right, and that'll be our liturgy for tonight, and as I mentioned we're going after we read through the study tonight, which um I don't have a lot by way of notes, so we'll see what this does to the show tonight to the podcast. I don't have a lot of information by way of notes, and after we're done reading through the notes, there's something that I want to um bring to your attention about this topic of circumcision, and we may jump to the book of Acts. Uh, chapter 15 to see it and that'll reference us that'll take us back to the book of Genesis chapter 17 to look at something there and um, it'll tie it all together for us if we have time we'll hit that if not uh, between the next few weeks worth of study either tonight or to, uh, or next week we'll catch it one of those times okay because I think it's important for us to study as we work our way through the book of Galatians. All right let's turn to the notes. Uh, let's look at uh, where we left off. We're on the top of page 176 uh, in the written notes, and again, we were talking at first about this idea that um, the the law itself is uh, how how do we describe it last week? We described these two circles, and um, basically, uh, this is the way that I think Paul interacts with God's Torah now. He, as an unbelieving Jew, before he came to faith the Messiah, um, had a relationship to the law as a covenant member of Israel. As a circumcised on the eighth day male, um, he knew that it was his obligation, uh, his part of the covenant. Remember, this a covenant is an agreement between a contract between two parties. The first party is God, the second party is Israel. So, um, Paul included himself in that bunch. He knew that he had an obligation to the law of God. But, he didn't know the messiah yet so he had an obligation to this one single circle a large circle called uh israel and within that circle uh it was it was uh, the circle was lined as it were or, or or um limited i should say by the boundary known as torah or god's law and that was his relationship to god was was uh through this covenant through the torah uh through the the peoplehood known as israel but At one point in time, as we all know from reading through the Book of Acts, the Spirit of God opened Paul's eyes. The the scales dropped off, and he was able to see the risen Yeshua, who actually spoke to him right on that road to Damascus. And Paul became what we would call today a Messianic Jew. Right? He became a believer. He joined the body of Messiah. But What we also know is that he did not leave the people group known as Israel, cross no man's land, and jump into a group known as the church. That's a fallacy that's believed by some, in fact by many, in Christianity today. But um, if you read through the testimonies that Paul left for us uh, in the books of Acts, and as well as many of his other letters, like Philippians and things like that, he didn't really leave Judaism, he simply graduated gravitated to a part of Israel that is an exclusive group, an Israel within Israel, to use Paul's own language in Romans. So suddenly for Paul he realized that within the larger circle called Israel, which is, is God's which is governed by God's Torah, right, um so God's law is this larger circle. The larger circle called Israel has has is lined by the circle called God's Law that I described last week. The lining of it, you could say the inside of the circle is called God's Law. And and Paul um had a relationship to God's law, but then suddenly, when his eyes became open, he realized that within the small the bigger circle called God's Law in Israel, there was a smaller circle called Remnant Israel, which was lined by the uh, a, a law that Paul used calls the law of Messiah. And uh It is not distinct so much from the law of God as that, as it is that it 's a it 's a unique way of identifying with God because it 's done through the relationship that Paul had now has with messiah Yeshua, and this is the smaller circle that we talked about last week, the law of Christ. And we made this challenge that the law of Christ should not be envisioned as existing outside of the larger circle called the law of God, the Torah. Rather, instead, what we should—it's better for us to understand that the law of Messiah exists within the law of God, because the law of God is perfect. We know this by reading the book of Psalms. We know this from just reading through Moshe itself. It is perfect, but it only has—it's—it has a limited use when it comes to. Uh, um, Uh, bringing a person before God and allowing him to interact with God. uh, There's a limited use for God's law itself. It's only until a person, uh, by faith, accepts Messiah that they can begin to walk into the law of Messiah, the law of Christ, which is basically um, the law of God as as seen through and empowered by the Spirit of God Himself, the Spirit of Messiah, the Holy Spirit, once that change takes place within a man, then, and only then, can we relate to God the way that God actually designed us to do. So we talked about that last week. And this is very important because it 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 bears um, importance, uh, it b- bears um, significance for us when we're going to be talking about circumcision tonight. Um, I've made a case uh, in previous studies, and I'll make it again tonight, that when we read through and study the entire Bible, there are, are a number of biblical concepts that can be best viewed through this bigger circle, smaller circle, you know, the smaller circle being nested within the larger circle. Or um, if you want to think of it also, there's there are two levels to many different concepts that we read about in the Bible. When I say two levels, it's more often that they're not two separate levels meaning uh, a contradistinction in one another, quite often there are two levels, one nested within the other, so that uh, even though uh, at some level there's a... um, Separation between the two oftentimes there 's still interaction between the two levels or two phases or or something that affect and we see this when we look at topics such as like I just described larger Torah and smaller torah god 's law and the law of Messiah um, We could also see this when we look at larger larger Israel like national Israel and then remnant Israel which is nested within we can see it that way as well um uh, we could also see this when we come, when we're going to talk about circumcision. There's a there's a physical circumcision of, of the flesh that we read about in Genesis 17 in our liturgy, and now we're going to be talking about tonight as well the significance of spiritual circumcision, uh, heart circumcision if you want to call it that way, spiritual circumcision, heart circumcision, uh, because you know no one actually cuts the actual organ, the heart organ that would that would that would cause the death of a person. So we're talking about something that takes place without hands. To use Paul's language in uh, in another one of his letters, a heart circumcision that God's Spirit Himself does, and we we know that this is something that is possible because uh, the prophet Ezekiel is going to go on to prophesy about this new heart. We read about that in our liturgy that we use from weeks past, Ezekiel chapter thirty-six, and it's also the same heart liter- uh, heart circumcision that was promised way, 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 way long time ago, back in Deuteronomy chapters 10, as well as Deuteronomy chapter 30. So chapter 10 and chapter 30 um, speak of circumcise your hearts, Israel. Uh, Jeremiah, I think, talks about it in an earlier passage, but then he he um, brings it to a fullness when he uh, mentions his New Testament or New Covenant passage in Jeremiah, the familiar Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31, where God promises this New Covenant with the house of Israel. And um, it's God writing the laws, his laws, right, on the heart, uh, meaning they're written actually on the on the, the circumcised heart of, of Israel, the softened heart, the heart of flesh. God doesn't write his laws on the heart of stone because that's a rebellious heart. And that's important for us to understand as we're studying through these topics of of physical circumcision and spiritual circumcision. So, going back to circumcision, let's jump now into our study, picking on verse 12, highlighting just this one, and talking about um, the significance in Paul's letter to the book of Galatians. Um in verse 12 we read it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh right who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ end quote of course Paul is referring to those um, those uh, the, what Christians call the Judaizers who crept in, as we mentioned last week, unawares. I, I kept mentioning that it's chapter 1 of Galatians, but I, uh, my mistake, it's chapter 2. In chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul mentions that there are these this group of people that are um, uh, uh, trying to establish a program uh, within the the communities in Galatia that Paul had himself had already established, and we call these people the Judaizers or the Legalizers or the Influencers or the Agitators, the bad guys, the villains of the peace. They're the ones that Paul is opposing. Their theology and their theology centers on um, a, a kind of a a works system. This is the way that Christianity describes it, and I'm not I'm not adverse to using that description at uh, at all times, but some way of of Bypassing, um, the grace of Messiah when it comes to being counted as saved viz. Genuine covenant membership, righteousness. They have a program or an agenda or a theology that uses a different pathway, a different door. A different method of being counted as righteous, and in their eyes, the church describes this as keeping the law, or Torah observance, or merit theology, works righteousness, uh, working your way into heaven, etc., etc. Works righteousness um, mean, in other words, keeping the law to become saved, uh, something to that effect. And theologically speaking, that that and that's an accurate description of the theology of the of the uh, influencers, the Judaizers, but. I think it's more um, accurate to describe uh, their theology as centered on the first century notion that all of Israel uh, was guaranteed a place in the next age, what we call the age to come. In other words, all Israel was saved. And so it's within that viewpoint, as we study more carefully the sociological Uh, historical aspects of 1st century Israel, the the, the Israel that Paul interacted with, the Judaisms that he interacted with in his day. It's probably more accurate, uh, based on um, many historical findings now, that um, many of the Judaisms, not all, but many of them, a good number of them at least, uh, held to this idea that circumcision, the physical circumcision, um, actually Demonstrated and indicated, uh, Jewish ethnicity or national, uh, identification nation, national identification with Israel as a people. And, um, uh, physical circumcision itself was the, was the sign, right? We know that it is a covenant sign, but it is actually the, the, the sign that secured one's right standing within God's eyes himself. In other words, to put it bluntly, uh, the, 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 many of the Judaisms, maybe not all, but many of them, a significant number of them per se, uh, at least a controlling part of them, right, a, a faction that controlled uh, many of the policies of the temple and, and, and the halakha that was being formulated in the first century, um, a good number of them, maybe the Pharisaic section and uh, uh, those groups, um they believe that circumcision, uh, physical circumcision, was vital to be counted as righteous in God's eyes. And so when we talk about physical circumcision, a problem arises when we introduce the ingredient of the Gentiles, the Gentiles who were gravitating uh, historically towards God as a God, towards the people of Israel, and towards the blessings, towards the synagogue life, towards uh, the festivals, sabbaths, kosher, all of these things were attractive to the Gentile groups that Israel interacted with in the first century level. And so Paul spotted a problem in their theology, the theology of the influencers, and this is what we're going to read about, is that they were using their, their they were using their social um uh strength, their social position, uh their social standing uh within the people groups within the Judaisms, uh within the denominations of Judaism in Paul's day, uh, many of the, the those who favored circumcision uh were using that social strength to pressure Gentiles into a program that we call today um proselytism. In other words, they were forcing Gentiles to become Jews, legally recognized Jews, complete with physical circumcision for the males. The women, of course, didn't have to undergo circumcision. We know that's true. But um, it it didn't matter uh, because uh, circumcision was seen as the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. And we read about that in Genesis 17. So let's pick up our study tonight uh, for verse 12. Read through my notes and then, um, I'll share some thoughts with you that you perhaps maybe not, may not have even considered when reading through the book of Galatians. Here are my comments to verse 12, starting near the top of page, uh, 176 in my notes. Call a spade a spade, right? Paul, uh, Paul, um, he reveals what he believes to be the motives, which are impure, the impure motives of the, um, of the circumcision faction of these these Judaizers, these legalizers. Right? He says they want to make a good showing in the flesh and they want to force you to be circumcised. And it's not even really to uphold the 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 stipulations of any Abrahamic covenant, so to say you know right? It's Paul saying no, the real one of the real motives is that they just don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And it's important for us to realize before I jump into my comments that the persecution would naturally be coming from the Jewish communities themselves. Recall that um, Paul himself, before he became a Messianic Jew, he would go about uh, throughout this this uh, sectarian group known as the Way, right? the early Christians who were composed of Jews primarily, um, but yet Messianics. When Paul caught wind of these Messianics, who were going about teaching in the name of Jesus, just like we read about in the book of Acts with the other disciples, Peter and the rest, who would enter into the temple grounds and start preaching the name of Jesus, healing in the name of Jesus, in the name of Yeshua. And then what would happen is that the temple authorities would, would would fall on them and arrest them, throw them in prison, and warn them not to preach in this name or speak of this anymore, only to find out that when Peter and them would were released, uh, you know, after being flogged, of course, that once once they were released, they would go right back into the temple and keep preaching. All right, Oive. Well, Paul would Paul caught wind of all this, and he got authority from the Sanhedrin to actually go about and persecute them and uh, seek to kill them as well. And so um, he he realizes that the, the Judaism, the Sanhedrin, has the power to persecute or to punish anyone, any group that didn't uh, that wasn't in line with their theology. And so, uh, Paul's saying that, look at these guys, they just don't want to suffer the persecution for the cross of Christ. They don't want to, to bear that shame as well. So they just want to uh, make you guys, you Gentiles, Paul speaking to them, they want to cause you to come over into their program and be counted as Jewish as well because of this theology that all Israel, read all Jewish Israel, has a place in the world. And only Jews uh, have a right to the Torah, have access to the Torah. The Torah is a Jewish-only document. This was the, a common theological position that was uh, taught in Paul's day as well. So Paul's gonna Paul's through with being coy about the whole situation. I say in my notes, indeed it was as we've already seen him loses cool in, in three thirteen when he calls his readers fools, you foolish Galatians, uh, who hath bewitched you? Right for being bewitched by the message of the influencers. I like David Stern's version of the New Testament. He says, you stupid Galatians. So Paul seems to um you know when he needs to he 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 comes out in not so uh, um, polite fashion, right? He lost his school is what I call it. And when he really wants to go overboard, which he did, we see this as well in my notes, he says he went overboard when he wished that those false teachers, right, these agitators, these Gentilizers, I'm sorry, these Judaizers or legalizers, influencers. Uh, He wished they would follow through with the whole operation on themselves if they were so obsessed with taking off just a bit of the flesh from someone else merely for the purpose of notching their belts, right? Hint, 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 in case you're not catching what Paul was talking about there. Go back and read uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Again, very carefully in a few different versions and ask yourself this question. Is Paul saying what I think he's saying? Yes, he is saying what, he's think you're, what he thinks you're saying. All right, let's keep going in my notes. So Paul's Paul, when he wants to, he I think he knows that his letter is being read out loud in the congregation, and Paul already knows that these these uh, influencers are. Uh, Seated with the rest of the other Galatian members, so so basically it's an integrated whole. It's a community where we have both the influencers and the the Gentile Christians that that Paul is really writing the letter to, but he knows the Galatians. You know, I'm sorry, he knows the Gentiles are going to be sharing the letter with the influencers because they call themselves you know Galatians as well, and so it's within that setting I think that um, Paul levels his guns at his detractors by revealing their impure motives, of stooping to underhanded methods such as threats. Um, This this whole idea of of being forced to become circumcised. I don't know if they were actually using threats of death or punishment or bodily harm or something like that. Hey, if you guys don't get circumcised, this is what's going to happen to you. We don't know if that's the case. Like, Paul himself did do that, right? He used physical threats. Uh, He he used... um, his his legal power as a member of the sanhedrin or at least a uh, someone that was commissioned by them maybe he was a a subcontractor or something like that but we know he was going about arresting people and throwing them into prison because they were speaking in the name of yeshua and this was back when it was just um more or less um a jewish only movement among it was jews among jews jews witnessing to jews about yeshua let alone what's going on with the Gentiles, right? That's that's really the ingredient that's going to upset uh, the whole the whole the whole apple cart is going to be upset when we talk about the Gentiles. So what I say in my notes is that um, Paul is going to uh, unmask their their true motives and uh, what is more according to Paul their reasoning for wishing wishing gentile circumcision is actually shown not to be so that they can sincerely help these gentiles find a place in covenant Israel you know that would be the altru- altruistic way of of, of helping them the the, un, the 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 unselfish way of doing it the pure motive way of doing it uh, hey you gentiles want to become uh members in Israel here why don't we help you out Paul says that's not the case uh, rather, it's out of fear of identifying with Yeshua in persecution, which, in my opinion, is actually an odd fact indeed, considering that the influencers may have actually been accepting of Yeshua, but not accepting of Gentiles in Israel as Gentiles. You guys catch that last phrase there, very careful. It seems to be that within Paul's day there was a shift, maybe at first, after Yeshua had gone and commissioned the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel like we read about in, la- in the latter half of Matthew there. Um, the Great Commission, and so when we start, when we turn to the book of Acts, we see that the disciples were doing just that. They were going from town to town, first in 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 Judea and Samaria and the surrounding towns in Israel, and but they were basically uh, going out from Jerusalem, just like the Master instructed them, and they were taking the gospel city by city, going two by two, and 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 sharing the good news. Initially, only with Jews right? Just like Yeshua himself had done. Like he said, he'd only been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But eventually they're going to be encountering non-Jewish peoples. And so that's what we read about in the book of Acts, what people call kind of a transition from from a Jewish, uh, kind of kind of a primarily Jewish evangelism branching out to the, to include the Gentiles as well. But at first, it seems like the Jewish communities didn't so much have a problem with the Jewish evangelism of Yeshua among Jews. I'm sorry, at first they did have a problem with, with Yeshua being uh, preached among Jews. We know that's true because of the way Paul reacted against the uh, followers of the early Christians uh, by trying seeking to imprison them just for and because of the way that we read about the temple authorities arresting the disciples for speaking in Jesus name but after a while it seems like they just kind of got used to the fact that there was this this faction within Judaism another one of the judaisms of the first century that was speaking about another messiah you know the many messiahs have come and gone and, you know men claiming to be messiah so what what you know it's no different with this Jesus character just let them come and go they'll they'll probably die out sooner or later so it, it became no big deal after a while i think um but suddenly we're starting to introduce this new ingredient to their evangelism they suddenly started preaching the gospel or the good news of torah the good news of the kingdom the good news of 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 god's blessing upon his people and they're going to non-jews ah uh, this we can't have this this is this is something that's 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 uh not acceptable uh taking our torah to the gentiles and our our gospel to the gentiles is 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 just not something we're going to allow. So that's why I think it's kind of odd that they wouldn't um that they would uh they were actually probably these the influencers were probably actually accepting of Yeshua at some point in time in history because this is probably the 60s now right I'm sorry late yeah late 50s um, or maybe early 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 to mid fifties I should say i don 't i 'm sorry book of Romans is probably approaching the the late fifties and and into the sixties but Galatians is still a little probably early in the fifties so um this Jesus movement um has been going on for a while now, and the Judaisms have probably kind of grown used to Jews speaking of jesus right jews for they were the first Jews for Jesus right um the, the, the Judaisms of Paul's they had probably become used to that. So I think that the influencers, in my opinion, uh I think they were probably a little more accepting. They were probably, you know, if the Gentiles said, hey, we want to join Israel, but according to our uh teacher, our rabbi, Paul, um, Jesus is the one that brings it all uh into focus for us. And probably the influencer says, Yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. You want you want you want to bring Jesus along with you? That's fine. We we can accept that. But The thing we can't accept is your ethnicity. That's where we draw the line. That's where you've got to leave that baggage at the door, which is your ethnicity. You can bring your Jesus with you into our groups, into our communities. You know, we're fine with that. So it's kind of odd that given that reality that I think is true, that these influencers were, they themselves were trying to avoid this, this stigma of being labeled as messianic themselves. That's, you know, Paul says, in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So. In other words, I think the influence was actually not true. I don't think they were really true believers. But they were probably um, the kind of Jews, uh, uh, traditional Jews, who um, thought that this Jesus character was just another good rabbi, another good teacher, and not really the true Messiah. So they did probably... Within that um, uh, mindset, probably said, "Yeah, you Gentiles, if you want to be included in Israel and you want to bring your Jesus teacher with you, uh, or your Paul teacher, bring your Jesus, bring your Paul. We don't care what what Rabbi you bring with uh, with with you into Judaism. That's fine, but you can't bring your ethnicity. You can't bring your Gentile ethnicity. That's the thing you need to leave at the door. But your other your other teachers, yeah, you want to bring him. You want to bring him. That's fine. We don't care. I think that's what that's that's a good uh, working hypothesis." Alright, so one verse later down in 6.13, which we're going to look at next week, um, uh, Paul actually tips the hand of the influencers and shows us their cards and accuses them of hypocrisy by not even obeying the Torah. Right? Ouch, that's going to hurt. Right? He he, he um, charges them first with uh, uh, this hypocritical showing of the flesh forcing Gentiles to be circumcised using their social pressure as Jews. And then it's only not to actually uh to to meet the the best interests of the gentiles who were seeking the genuine blessing of god within the program of israel that's not even the case instead these these uh, judaizers or influencers were probably just just doing this you know um this proselyte uh program this 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 uh, uh Campaign, as it were, in order to make sure that they were uh, seen as good Jews themselves, avoiding the stigma of of being called, uh, you know, Jesus Jews or whatever. So, interesting uh, that Paul, within that uh, theology that he was uh, um, noticing about them, that uh, he calls this non Tor observance. And we'll talk about that next week. All right, uh, I go on to say in my notes um, the Greek word for force in this verse, anankazo. is. Uh, uh, carries the idea of compulsion by force or threat if necessary. Look at footnote number 165 in my notes. Points to the Thayer's and Smith's Bible Dictionary on that word, anankazo, And we've seen this word again, as I say in my notes, um, in our studies, twice earlier in this letter at Galatians 2.13 and again at Galatians 2.14, uh, where Peter is trying to force the Gentiles to live as if they're Jews, Right why do you force the gentiles to live live like you know Jews to take on a Jewish lifestyle why are you compelling them with your social uh social position as a leader in the community um i don't think peter was threatening them but you know if you have a significant influence in a group as a leader or something like that then you can sway the group to to socially force right you can use your social status to force Anyone who's not compliant with the policies of the group, by using what ostracization, right? You can threaten them with excommunication. Uh, you can threaten them with penalties or fines, or certain punishments. Or, you know, I don't think you're using probably not using death threats, but you, uh, if you have enough um, power within your social group, you could probably even um, stigmatize them. You know, point them out, make a make a, make a, a, a public mockery or shame of those who don't. Don't um, uh, comply with your policies. Uh, perhaps, maybe if you had enough uh, legal power, you could probably bring some charges or put them in prison or whatever. Things that Paul certainly is aware of. Um, so Paul knows what this word anankazo means because if you recall in my notes, I say Paul was guilty of compelling Christians to blaspheme before he himself came to believe in Yeshua as Messiah of Israel. Look at footnote number one sixty six. My reference is to Acts twenty six eleven. In his testimony, he. Testifies that he himself was guilty of using this social tool, of of um of social pressure of forcing uh, Christians trying to compel them to blaspheme Yeshua. Of course, I say my context shows that it's not always wrong to try to compel someone to do a particular thing. For instance, of the nine times I looked up this word uh, in the Greek, of the nine times that it's found in the Greek. Uh, in the apostolic scriptures, only four of those times does this context seem to indicate compulsion to do something wrong. If we look at footnote number one sixty-seven, I listed all the references there, uh, going from Matthew, Mark, Luke, into the Book of Acts, Second Corinthians, and then here in Galatians as well. Uh, this word, this Greek word, anankazo, this compulsion. So. You can compel someone to do something right. You can compel someone to do something wrong. And Paul's saying that these um, influencers, the point I'm trying to make in my notes here by bringing this verse up, is that as far as the influencers were concerned, I say at the bottom of the page, the Gentiles were not being given really a choice in the matter. It was kind of like the the Judaizers were saying, look, if you want to receive the blessings of God, if you want to receive the protection of of the people group of Israel, the the exemptions that we receive from Rome to be able to hold our own worship services, be exempt from the emperor worship, um, uh, to receive a measure of protection uh, within the, uh, uh, the Roman uh, uh, Empire itself, the Roman government um as well as receive a uh, favor from the, the from the leaders in Israel um then you're going to have to take on legal Jewish status and be willing to declare yourselves uh as Jews uh legally recognized from our perspective which means physical circumcision and so um otherwise it was kind of like it's our way or the highway right it's my way or the highway and that's why how I think that's why they were being forced in that sense they weren't they weren't really being threatened at at point at pains of death to be circumcised. I mean, they were they were given a choice in the matter, but the social pressure of hey, look, if you want all of that we've got to offer, here's what you got to do, um, that that kind of thing. I think that's what's going on. Circumcision, I say in the bottom of the page there. Circumcision was being presented as the exclusive entry point into covenant Israel, and Paul was seeking to set the record straight once and for all by correctly demonstrating. We're near the top of page 177 now. By correctly demonstrating from the Torah itself. That God reckons a person righteous not by their ethnic status, but by their position of faith in the risen Christ. Of course, Paul's going to flesh this out in more detail in his letter to the Romans. In, say, Romans chapter 4, where he uses Abraham as an example, David as an example, he talks about how that Abraham was counted as righteous uh, before he was circumcised, things like that. Paul's letter to the book of Galatians, he doesn't spend a lot of time on that. He's, he's short and to the point, but he doesn't flesh out the theology like he does in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 4 for us. I uh, go into saying my notes and at the top of the page this also brings up an important historical fact for us to consider concerning the sharp disputes between the prevailing Jewish groups of Paul's day and the members of the emerging sect known as the Way and I've already hinted at this about um, their differences over Messiah and their differences over um, who is a Jew and who's not or who's an Israelite and who's not. Tim is going to explain this disagreement for us this way. Listen up for a moment. quote This is a lengthy quote from Tim Higg's commentary. Haig uh, Higg writes quote, "Here we are given a most important insight into the situation of Paul's day. This is working off of the word, the phrase that Paul said where how that they seek to avoid the persecution of the cross of Christ." Um, Haig notes that the antagonism of the mainline Jewish community against the people of the way did not center primarily upon the theology of Yeshua, the Messiah. As Messiah so Yeshua was a contender for the Messianic figure in, in his day among one of many we know from his, historically uh, studying the books of the New Testament and uh, the background history that goes along with it, like Josephus and Philo and and some of the early church fathers and things like that, that there were other messianic contenders, uh, people who were claiming to be Messiah. We know, of course, as Christians, that there's only one true Messiah. But from their perspective, the Judaisms of Paul's day, perhaps were looking at Yeshua as just one of many messiahs. Many of them accepted him as the Messiah that was prophesied about in their Tanakh. But we also know that the unbelieving factions of Judaism's Just probably regarded him as another one of the good teachers, you know, just one of one of the possible um, candidates. Let's keep reading. Hague other sects of the day. It also proclaimed leading members of their sect as fulfilling the role of Messiah, as would happen eventually in the Bar Kokhba revolt. Bar Kokhba is another one of the messianic contenders of, of the first century. Haig continues, the issue that was most egregious and which had begun the split between the traditional synagogues and the synagogues of the way, right, so we got this split that was taking place between the traditional Jews and the Messianic Jews, if we can call them that, was actually the matter of the Gentiles. It was not actually the matter of Yeshua that was splitting the synagogues of Paul's day. "...Gentiles as Gentiles simply could not be tolerated nor accepted as full-fledged covenant members, and to treat them as though they were," which the congregations of the way did, right, the early Christians did, "...this uh, treatment of Gentiles as members within Israel, although Gentile members within Israel, this," uh, Heg says, "...caused deep theological and sociological problems." and again we can see this by um recognizing uh the way in which gentiles are kind of forced into a um a, a proselyte program recall from several weeks earlier that i talked about how that in the 20s of Paul's day you know uh uh that there was probably this um strong uh program that was uh uh ch- uh what should I say? It was implemented because of the the eighteen measures that were um that had been voted upon by a strong um uh, house of Shammai group uh when there was that 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 um murder I think that took place uh, between the House of Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, the House of Shammai, the House of Shalel. And there was this disagreement, and then uh, this ruling that was enacted because of this meeting, uh, the 18 measures, these rules, these edicts, these, these kind of policies, or halakha, that was uh, strongly in favor of um, rejecting Gentile inclusion into Israel, and thus this really strong push for proselytism, uh, at least among the Pharisees, right? The Pharisaic group of from the house of Hillel that was the more strict of the two parties of the, between the two houses, uh, recall that the the, the, the Hillelites were a little more lenient, but the 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 Shemayites, the house of Shemai, they were really really strict, and they are the ones who were in favor. They 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 did not really accept uh, Gentiles in their groups, and so uh, there was a strong push to probably uh, make sure that Gentiles were physically circumcised and be, uh, counted as legally recognized Jews before they could. Uh, be recipients of the blessings and and protection of the people group known as Israel. So, it's basically, as I see it, it it paves the way for the persecution of Gentiles as as they came into Israel unless they were willing to undergo. Uh, the conversion to be called Jewish. All right, let's keep reading Heg. From the standpoint of the rabbis, or the proto-rabbis really, because in Paul's day they weren't really rabbis yet, in Jesus' day they weren't rabbis. They were just starting to become rabbis. So from the standpoint of the leaders, to allow a Gentile to assume full covenant membership was to diminish the basis of covenant membership from their perspective. That is, that covenant membership was guaranteed on the basis of a Jewish status. And I think that is a central key To understanding the book of Galatians, the 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 the, uh, to understanding what's the contention that Paul had for the theology of the influencers: this Jewish-only Israel, this Jewish-only Torah, this Jewish-only covenant membership. The you know everything that was driven by a nationalism or an ethnicity. This this whole idea that that we Jews are the only. Um, righteous people group in the earth that God cut a covenant exclusively with Jewish Israel. And I keep emphasizing the word Jewish there when I use the word Israel because it's not a, it's not theologically enough to mention that God cut a covenant with Israel only because that is actually true. Rather, uh, many of the Judaisms, again, perhaps not all, but at least a significant portion of them, of Israel's day, of Paul's day, held to this common theology that Jewish Israel uh, exclusively shared a place in the world to come, exclusively had access to the Torah and the promises contained therein, which would include blessings of in the age to come, i.e. the uh, um, uh, heaven. In other words, Jew, all Jews and only Jews are the only ones that were saved. And if you wanted to be counted as saved or righteous, then you had to cross a social barrier into the um, people group known as Israel. You had to leave your Gentile ethnicity behind, so that's kind of what's going on. I think that's, in my opinion, or my studies, my uh, experience, a better way to understand the book of Galatians. Let's finish Haig here. Um, uh, let's see, moreover, the presence of Gentiles within the community was too dangerously close to acceptance of idolatry, for the Gentile world in Paul's day was characterized first and foremost by their idolatrous practices right when the Jews thought of Gentiles in Paul's day they just they just naturally associated uh, Gentiles with idolatry um, as long as the way right the, the the early Christians as long as they insisted on equal acceptance of Gentiles the mainline Jewish communities simply could not accept them. Gentiles, as far as the rabbis were concerned, needed to be encouraged to become proselytes, right? There's that that social pressure that they were placing on the Gentiles, that anankadzo all over again, right? there, It says it says they were encouraging them to become proselytes, but really they were dangling a, a, a prize out in front of the Gentiles that unless they changed their status, they could not actually even receive that prize. hey goes on to say, For the traditional synagogue had no problem with Jews who held divergent opinions, and we can note the stark contrast between Pharisees and Sadducees in terms of their fundamental beliefs, yet the obvious manner in which the two sects interacted and lived together. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, they did not believe in in angels, they did not um, uh, uh, hold the... uh, uh, the remaining parts of the Tanakh as uh, inspired, like the Pharisees did. The Pharisees, by comparison, did believe in the resurrection. They did believe in angels. They believed in the afterlife. Uh, they believed in spirit life. They believed in um, uh, the inspiration of the the books after Moshe, etc., cetera, etc. The, the, the uh, Sadducees, similar to the Samaritans, had a, a limited view of, of certain parts of the Torah, uh, things like that. And yet, still, they were able to interact with one another and call each other fellow Israelites. Um, we also know from reading through the book of Acts that the followers after the way, right, this new sect, that had this new uh, denomination, if you want to use that word, had um, risen within Israel after Yeshua had come and gone, right? The disciples, uh, the followers of Yeshua, um, and if we read through the book of Acts, we notice that the disciples are able to freely uh, interact with the unbelieving Jews in the synagogues. Paul's able to take groups into the synagogues of that day and be able to preach even to them, you know, Sabbath after Sabbath. In other words, the synagogue was still open to allowing Jewish believers into the synagogues, and to have their say the kind of the marketplace of religion was still open to hearing what this this uh, uh what do we say this additional um, denomination had to say concerning interpretations of Torah, so there seemed to be the, the market seemed to be open to Ye- Yeshua as one of the other options when it came to defining. Um, what is and what is not proper Torah interpretations, but at some point in time, we know that the the split, the, the sharp uh, disagreement that arose happened where the Gentiles concerned. In other words, as long as it was a Jewish discussion. You can have Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Qumranis, Dead Sea Scroll group, you know, these groups. You can have Bethusians, you can have followers after the way. Yeah, we can all meet together in synagogues and have a discussion. And the Gentiles... They don't really have a say in the matter—a legal say in the matter. They're just there to observe what we Jews are discussing. They're really just uh, prospects to Judaism. This is kind of the view of the Judaism's of Paul's day—the uh, way they viewed the Gentiles. They're not really covenant, full-fledged covenant members the way we Jews are. They're just kind of—they're—they're um, um, they're, they're part of the audience. They're not really part of the—the—the—the. The, 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 um, the stage participants, like we Jews are. We Jews are part of the play. We're we're part of the the stage. We're we're on stage, and the the Gentiles are kind of in the audience watching us in our synagogues, uh, and they can't participate if they want to join. If they, if they want to come on stage, they have to uh, go through the program known as conversion, and then uh, you know become a God-fearer, uh, convert, become a Jew, and then you can join the stage play like we Jews are engaged in. And so, kind of that's what's going on here. Haig concludes by saying. Um, It was the presence of Gentiles that created the division in the first century. And you can read more from Haig. If you look at my footnote, number 168 points to his study of Galatians, which is available at his website at torresource.com. I pulled that, lifted um, uh, um, those notes from page 224 and 225. Let's finish my own uh, commentary here, uh, and then I might say a brief word about circumcision again. Um, it seems like it didn't even really talk about circumcision, but you have to, under, you have to understand that the underlying um, framework for understanding Paul's uh, consternation about the compulsion that the influencers were using, the social compelling that he was using, uh, to force the Gentiles to become circumcision. the underlying notions is, is Paul's understanding, theological understanding, of physical circumcision and uh, the way that the Torah describes it in Genesis chapter 17, and the way that Paul understood its theological significance and importance as he wrote the letter to the book of Galatians to the, to the congregations in Galatia. Let's finish my commentary here, and then I'll explain what I mean. All too often, the historic church of yesterday and today seems to think that the belief in Yeshua—that uh, yes, the belief in Yeshua—was the primary dividing point between the way and those of the traditional Judaism's of the time. And as we've already mentioned, indeed, Jewish followers after the way were eventually expelled from their own synagogues over their loyalty to Yeshua, just like their master promised in John 16:2. So that's true. But as Heg so eloquently pointed out, eloquently pointed out, as we earnestly study uh, Second Temple Judaism in Israel, we must reckon with the fact that eventually the Way's insistence on Gentile inclusion into Israel as Gentiles, right, without going through the proselyte ritual, their insistence of Gentile inclusion as Gentiles was the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back when it came to differences between Paul's Judaism and the other's Judaism, the, the, the Judaisms that weren't uh, recognized as followers after the Way. So with that we'll bring my commentary to a close. Uh, I've got a little bit of time in in the in the study uh, maybe just a minute or two. Let me just look at what we're going to look at next week and see if I want to save my most of my circumcision comments for next week. Uh, next week we're going to turn to verse 13 and let's see I think we might hit 13. Uh, for even those who are circumcised not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. Um. I think. I think we'll save my comments. I'm just going to give you a teaser for next week, okay? And this way, we'll, we won't make the study long tonight. We'll keep it closest to closer to the hour that I actually allotted for each study. What I want to show you is that, um, and we'll do this next week, what I want to show you is that if we turn back to Genesis 17 and look at the uh, passage that we looked at, uh, where God uh, explains to Abraham that Abraham needs to take on a sign of the covenant, we're going to find that um, in the Masoretic Text version that we're reading here, uh, some of the verses talk about that Abraham is himself is going to become circumcised. Of course, Abraham is an old man. And the uh, males that are in Abraham's household are also going to be circumcised. So these are adult males, Abraham included. They all have to receive the circumcision. But from this point forward going on in Abraham's family and in Abraham's clan, instead of adult males becoming circumcised, the circumcision is going to take place on the eighth day. And we can see this in verse 12. He that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. And um, when we... When we compare verse twelve with verse fourteen there's a warning from God where where God says "The uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of a swore skin, that soul shall be cut off from his people we're going to find that if we look through other instances of the um Tanakh other copies of our translations, not from the Masoretic but For instance, say the Septuagint or the Samaritan Pentateuch or something like that. We're going to find that that there's there's some extra wording that perhaps um, became the impetus for one of the factions of Paul's day that favored circumcision on the eighth day specifically. And we'll turn to the book of Acts chapter 15 and we might we see perhaps maybe a textual hint of this as well if we look into the uh, Greek and read some of the uh, Greek as well from Acts chapter 15 as well as look at some of the narrative that Luke left for us through the book of um, Acts. And uh, Luke's gospel itself. So, Luke the writer is going to clue us into some of these details. And we'll look at that next week. I think I'll save that. For now, let me just close by um, mentioning this. Um, I have talked about circumcision in the study to the book of Galatians quite prominently. In fact, if you look at my own commentary uh, at the uh, table of contents, as I'm turning to it right now for those in my live study, um, If you look at the table of contents in my uh, study, yeah, here we go, Um, the very first chapter is called Brit Milah, which is Covenant of Circumcision. The word Brit means circumcision, and the word Milah means, I'm sorry, the word Brit means covenant, and the word Milah means circumcision. And um, that was the very first topic that we hit in my study. And then we moved into part two, Alch factor, why the male reproductive organ, which means the very first chapter, two chapters of my Galatian study centered on this topic of circumcision itself. And then we worked from that, we moved from that uh, study into uh, chapter three, uh, part one, Proselyte Conversion, Understanding the Background. And in my opinion, as you can see from these first three chapters of my own study to the book of Galatians, I think that the first century judaism's understanding of physical circumcision and the way it uh it was described as a covenant and the way it is understood in not only um, uh, uh, covenantal terms reading to the book of genesis but the way this uh term circumcision it shifted into a theological uh term by the week, by the time we get to paul's day in the first century um i think it it is it's not a peripheral issue. I think it's a significant issue. And it's significant enough that when we read through the book of Acts as well as uh, Paul's letters where he highlights this this concept of circumcision, I think it's important for us, and I'll close with this concept, I think it's important for us to uh, consider the fact that in Paul's day, circumcision was uh, not a side issue in the eyes of the Judaisms of Paul's day. It wasn't something that was optional for the Gentiles wishing to be counted as righteous. In fact, I I can say with certainty that circumcision became um, one of the commands, if not the commandment, that was leveraged uh, in favor or against righteousness when it came to the Judaism's uh, hope, wishing to be counted as righteous in God's eyes. And so circumcision became that a gateway commandment into covenant membership, or you could say it became the um, it became the, the outward identifying marker of all those who were who wished to be uh, called as righteous Israel, and um, we'll look a little bit more at that next week. Uh for now I'll leave uh close down the commentary for tonight and we'll turn to uh Galatians chapter 6 verse 13 next week, okay? Let's close in prayer for those of you who are with me in the live study. If you want to stick around for a few minutes, we'll entertain some chat uh which is exclusive to those who join me in the live study. If you're listening to this MP3 audio file, of this podcast on iTunes or something like that and you're thinking, "Hey, How come I don't get to hear the live chat? How come I don't get to participate in that? How how come you don't record that, Ariel? Well, it's because it is exclusive for the live participants. So if you want to join us, come on out. There is room in the live chat session. I think, like I said, Skype will allow for up to 10 people or maybe even 20 people. I need to go back and look at that. But there's room. It's a small group. So join us each week for the live Skype after class chat if you want to just uh, um, talk about different things that we talked about in the study. Um, For now, I'll close in prayer. Uh, let's dismiss and meet next week if we can. Lord, I bless your name and thank you for the opportunity to study through the book of Galatians. I know that it is a challenging topic given the um, disconnect between the letter that is nearly 2,000 years old and today's uh, communities that perhaps don't have a, a um a a familiarity with the background, the social background, the historical background, the theological background uh, that Paul worked from. And so, Lord, um, incumbent upon us as Bible students, first and foremost, is that we read the text carefully and prayerfully, that we um, study with an open mind, that we approach the text with the uh, assurance that the Holy Spirit is going to explain the words to us Um, from the most important theological perspective that is necessary so that we can understand who Messiah is and what God expects of us as followers. But uh, um, in addition to that, Lord, I find it helpful that as students of the Word that we dig deeper into the background, meaning um, it's not wrong to study the history of the first century. It's not wrong to look at extra-biblical writings. Perhaps this includes rabbinic writings that have survived from that day uh some of the um uh some of the other early church writings that have have been uh, preserved for us from the day. These of all these all give us a, a helpful context from which to work from and give us a better appreciation for um the task that was at hand that you commissioned Paul with when he was taking this good news not just to the Jew first, but also, to the Gentile, thank you, Lord, that this gospel did not stay in Jerusalem, but that it went around the world and that it has now reached uh, those of us who are in the coastlands, those of us who are in the different countries, the respective uh, nations that we find ourselves in, and that this good news is still alive and relevant for us today, and that it 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 is the power. Of Messiah to bring a, a person into a right relationship with God through Messiah by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it is with those assurances there that we approach the text knowing that the word is alive. Thank you, Lord, that we have been given this commission to continue this task of taking the good news around the world. Give us an opportunity to share with others. Give us open doors as we witness and, and give us holy boldness as we meet with opposition. We'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory B'Shem Yeshua Amen That concludes our show for today It is my desire that this continuing Series of teachings will assist The average non-Jewish believer Or new Messianic Jewish believer In his desire to become a more Mature child of God And now O Israel What does the Lord your God ask of you But to fear the Lord your God To walk in all his ways To love him